Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. So, um, like Robin had said earlier, we are concluding our ABLE series this morning. And uh, before we get into part four of our ABLE series, I want to just point back to last week. I thought uh, we had John Hummel preaching, the uh, executive pastor here. I thought John did a tremendous job explaining and showing us how, man, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what the mistakes you've made or the past that you have behind you, uh, no one is put outside of the reach of God. Every single one of us is reachable by him. And he talked about the story of Cain and Abel and, and how, man, no matter what, there's just nothing that humans can do to distance themselves outside of God's loving reach for us. And I thought he did a masterful job last week. If you weren't here, if you didn't catch it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Uh, this week, the word that's been, I'll just say it's been planned for a while now. I did not anticipate it falling on this Sunday, but the word that we have this week that we're going to unpack is uncomfortable, uncomfortable. And like, I'll be real with you guys. I hate being uncomfortable. Anybody else? Like, I just hate getting into uncomfortable spaces, uh, conversations. Like I'm just not naturally confrontational. And so man, like when I'm uncomfortable, I just sort of want to die, you know? And, uh, and man, as I was thinking about this, like, man, what are some uncomfortable things that we find ourselves in? And immediately my, my mind went to, um, you know, that night of sleep you didn't get you know, that one where, where you went to bed and you looked at your clock and you said, man, all right, if I fall asleep right now, I get seven whole hours of sleep. And then you just, I can't get, I can't get comfy, you know, like I can't just find my spot. And then, then you look over at your clock a little while later and it's like, oh, great. Well, now if I fall asleep, I'll get five hours of sleep, right? And then you toss and turn a little more, just can't get comfy. You look over three hours of sleep, two hours of sleep. Inevitably what happens in that night of sleep that you did not get is that when you have like an hour-ish to go before your alarm clock goes off, what happens? You fall asleep and you don't just fall asleep, but you are in the most wonderfully, like heavenly, beautiful comfort that you've ever been in, right? Only to be interrupted by your alarm clock. Um, you know, uh, there's uncomfortable silences that you can put on people. It's like, oh my gosh, just talk already. Like, what's wrong? You know, like what's happening right now? That was only 10 seconds and I was dying inside. You know, like there's just sometimes, sometimes there's uncomfortable conversations. Like you've probably had some recently where you're just like, this just like, just doesn't feel good when we're talking with each other. Like this is uncomfortable. Um, I think like a lot of American consumerism has actually uh, is wired around this idea of the comfort of the consumer. And this isn't an evil thing. This isn't a bad thing. I actually love it, okay? Like, like I didn't realize how uncomfortable headphone cords were until I got a pair of AirPods. And I was just like, oh my, like, it's okay. You can be that person. You can judge me for having AirPods. I judge those people who had AirPods too, but then I got a pair. And I was like, you know what? It turns out headphone cords are just about the most uncomfortable thing on the face of the planet. And, and you know, I use my hands a lot when I'm doing things apparently. And so you can only imagine what that means if I have a pair of headphone cords hitting here. I'm always yanking them out of my ears. And it's terrible, terribly uncomfortable. Don't have to like, don't have to reach all the way in my pocket to skip a, a, a song on Spotify. Just tap my earbud twice and it's there. Apple's like, don't reach all the way in your pocket. How uncomfortable is that? You never know what you're going to grab when you reach in your pocket. Just, just tap your AirPod. So much easier. Uh, you know what else is uh, what's terribly uncomfortable is just going through the grocery store. 
Yeah, yeah, especially if you have small children, you're just like, don't, please don't take me there. I don't want a nuclear meltdown over giving my kids something that they asked that they could have and I gave it to them and they still freak out on me and we're here in the grocery store making a scene. It's terribly uncomfortable. Just order your groceries online. No worries. Hey, listen, you just, you just pull up in this parking spot right here. Don't even get out of your car. We'll load the groceries for you and go home. You know, don't even do that. You can order groceries online now. They can just show up at your doorstep. Oh, is it uncomfortable to wait five to seven days for shipping after you buy something? Amazon Prime's just like, no, 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 no. Two days. It's free. Always. Two days. Free shipping. We got you. That's it's uncomfortable to wait. Don't worry about waiting. We'll bring it right to you in two days for free. It's like the standard now. I, I, it drives me crazy when companies are like, you must spend $100 or more for free shipping. I'm like, what? Come on. Amazon ended this a while ago. What are we still doing? Anyway, it's not the soapbox I want to be on right now, but... Um, you know, uh, again, it's not a bad thing. Like, I love that there's seat warmers in cars, you know, because it's too uncomfortable just to have that air blowing on you all the time. It just might as well radiate from inside you, basically, right? And uh, so, so I don't think this is a bad thing in, in the economy. We just can't let it bleed into the way we see our faith. We can't let it bleed into the church. Because comfort, although it can, drive, it can drive consumerism forward, it can drive capitalism forward, and again, they're not bad things, uh, it just comfort will not drive the kingdom forward. And so we have to be a people who have a kind of faith that says, I'm willing to operate in these uncomfortable spaces because I know that God has called me. So we, have to, we have to get familiar with, we have to get content in the uncomfortable and so we're going to read about a guy who has maybe some of the, maybe the, some of, like, it's got to fall at least in some of the top five most uncomfortable moments in all of Scripture. But we're going to look at Abraham. Abraham, he's the father of faith. And, and it's crazy to me that it, that faith leads him, if you look in his story, to do a lot of really uncomfortable things. Faith. And, and it's ironic to me. Maybe not ironic. It's it's. Aud- like the audacity that I notice when people try and define their own faith. I say, oh, that's great for your faith. Well, my, my faith, you know, yes, I believe in Jesus. I just, I don't really love the church. So my faith is really just kind of me and some podcasts and some encouragement every now and then, right? I'm not in podcasts. I listen to them all the time. But like, but God has called you to a community of believers. That's what he's called you to. Oh, that, you, your faith, you, you give money, you support other things. Yeah, my faith is just kind of like me and doing my thing. And I don't really like to, you know, do things that are hard, like my faith. But, you know, your, your faith, that's cool that your faith calls you to be in just a, in a relationship with your spouse. Uh, my faith really is like, I'm just, my faith's a little more free. You know what I mean? Like, don't judge me. You can't judge me. My faith is just a little f- more freer than yours. That's all it is. And, and what's crazy about this is we start to think of faith as something we define, but rather it's something that God defines and he gives it to us as a gift. How dare we try and alter that gift and then explain to God what we think it should look like. So, so here, here's what's crazy is, is like God's faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, um, for by grace you've been saved apart from what you do. You are saved by faith. This isn't your own doing. It is a gift that's been given to you by God. Let me use this illustration to kind of help maybe draw even some further understanding on this. Um, this is kind of a low moment in my life when this happened. Okay, I was 18 years old, so give me some grace. Just keep that in mind. I was 18. It was a mistake, but we've, we moved on from there. Um, my grandmother, for my high school graduation gift, made me this awesome quilt with all these like pictures and shirts and all these memories that were all put together on this quilt. And it was awesome. 
right? And it's such a good and thoughtful gift. And, and uh, you know, go forward a couple weeks later and your mom's like, hey, you better you got to write those thank you notes. You got those thank you notes done. And so you got to get in that lane. I had a mom who made me write thank you notes and I'm thankful for it, but I'm sitting there writing thank you notes. And the danger when you have like 50 thank you notes to write, you kind of go on autopilot. You know what I mean? And I'm sitting there writing, dear grandma, thank you so much for the money that you gave me for graduation. Yeah, I see some of your faces right now. It was like that. I gave that to her before I realized what I'd done. She came over to my house a couple weeks later. She says, Austin, we need to talk. I did not give you money for graduation. I gave you this thing that I made delicately over weeks. I'm thankful my grandma had that conversation with me. She confronted me on an issue. I'm better because of it, but that stung because you don't want to be confronted at the end of the day with someone who said, here's this gift I've entrusted you with. And you go, oh my gosh, thank you for this gift. And they go, that's not what I gave you. I gave you faith, faith. So let's look at James chapter two, because James unpacks what real authentic saving faith looks like. And so we're going to jump in James chapter two, starting in verse 14. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? The implied answer is no. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled. Right? Like, so James is saying like, hey, you're seeing people who are in need and you have the means to help those who are in need right in front of you. And instead of meeting that physical need that's right in front of you, you're saying, hey, you know, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Go like, go in peace. You'll be good. And they're like, no, no, I need something. Don't, don't skip giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? He goes on to say in the next verse, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So what James points out is, is not that, uh, he points out to us that, that there is a kind of faith that will not save you. So like demons have faith in God. They believe that he's there. They're not getting saved because the faith that they have, they believe that he's there. They probably have more faith than us a lot of days. They have faith that he's there, but they're rebelling to God's kingdom rather than participating in the obedience that he desires to create in them. So, so, uh, there's a lot of confusion around, but wait, I, th I thought faith was apart from works. Like I thought I was saved apart from works of the law. And I would say that's not counter to what James is saying. At first read, you might go, wait, it seems like James is saying the opposite. It seems like James is saying you have to have works to have faith. It's the order that matters. James is saying that there is a kind of faith that's given to you that will create good works in you. You don't get the faith given to you by the way that you're behaving or the, by, by the works that you're doing. That's not why God chooses to give you the faith. God gives you the faith for free as a gift imparted from him. But what the saving, authentic, true kind of faith will look like once it's in you is it will create a transformation that desires to be obedient to the things that he's calling you to do even if they're uncomfortable, even if they're uncomfortable. So 
I just wanted to point out before we jump into this story, because we're going to look at the story of Abraham, who again, he has the title, father of faith, some title, right? The father of faith. Everyone's looking at Abraham for advice on faith, but we're going to read about it, not actually in Genesis. If you remember, all of our stories are coming out of Genesis through this series, but we're going to look at it through the lens of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the hall of faith. That's its nickname. And in it, what the author so masterfully does is he says, listen, you, you people, he's writing to an audience of people who are considering going back from the free gift of grace and faith that Jesus has given to them. And they're tempted to fall back into this pattern of trying to do sacrifices and trying to do the rules and the religion to try and buy more love from Christ. And he's saying, you can't do it. And what he does is he points back in a lot of the chapters at the finished work of the cross. But what he does in Hebrews chapter 11 is he says, listen, it's not actually just about since Jesus has been around. It's actually always been about faith. It's been about faith since the very beginning. So Hebrews chapter 11, he starts going through all these Old Testament characters. And what he's trying to show us is that it's always been about their faith in future promises that God would deliver while our faith looks back at the finished work of the cross. And so, but it all, all has always boiled down to faith. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, if you've got your Bible with you. I was like, I made that whole plug about bringing your Bible. And, and I feel like I wasn't fair to those of you who use the Bible on your phone. Like that, that counts too. I just, I prefer the, the Bible and paper, but you should bring a Bible to church. Okay. Even if it's on an iPad or phone or something like that, it's all good. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8. There's three pivotal moments where Abraham needs great faith in his life. And so I'm going to unpack each of those. And in each one of those moments, I think there's a question for each of us to ask ourselves today. So um, I'll kind of go one chunk at a time here and we'll unpack it and ask the question as we go. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of this same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So Abraham's story kind of comes on the scene and he's being called to a land. Like God's like, hey, Abraham, we're going. We're going to a land. Abraham's like, cool, man, where are we going? God's like, I'll show you. I'll sh- wait, where are we, how, how do I, how do I put it in the GPS? No, no, no. Like I'll show you, just follow me. See, see, uh, his faith didn't need to see the destination. He just need to hear the savior's voice to know that like, okay, now wherever you call me, I'll go. See, we can get so convinced if we're not careful that faith is more about seeing God work in our lives. And so then we respond to the good things that he's doing. But what Abraham's story shows is that it's, it's not about seeing where we're going. It's about going somewhere that you're called. He gets a call to go somewhere and he's just like, okay, let's go. He packs everything up and he leaves and he goes to this distant land. And the question for each of us to ask ourselves in this part of the story is, uh, is there somewhere that God is calling you to go right now and you're not following him? Has God put something on your heart? Has he shown you something somewhere that you know you're supposed to go, but you're not following him? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's a question of inadequacy or, or um, you're insecure about where he's calling you to go. But God called Abram and he went, he left. 
I, I think that uh, it's worth pointing out that sometimes we want to pray in hindsight about a decision like, oh, God, did you just call me to go there? Uh, but the alternative that I want to lay before you is maybe you should be praying so much that you recognize God's voice that when he says, go do this, go talk to that person, you need to leave your job, you need to move, you need to give that gift, you need to do this thing that's uncomfortable. You have so much time cultivated with your father's voice that you're one of his sheep. You recognize it when he's talking to you and you go, okay, I'll follow. See, because there's not a lot of details that say, oh, Abram, then he spent a lot of time praying about this decision. No, he just, he knew the voice and he went. Fasting. So, so we, have, uh, we have fasting that we do once a month, every month, last Wednesday of the month. Here's why you should participate in it. Because every single person has fleshly desires like we have things like hunger. We have things that we just want to do to satisfy us. And when you're fasting, what you're doing is you're, you're putting that fleshly desire beneath a spiritual desire. And you're going, God, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prioritize. I'm going to nourish and I'm going to encourage this spiritual desire. Would you build this up in me so that when push comes to shove, when it's a battle between my flesh and my spirit, my spirit man's stronger. That's why we fast consistently because we're teaching our body. We're disciplining ourselves to know and to recognize and to follow after the things of the spirit. He's calling you. He's asking you to go somewhere. Are you listening? So let me just uh, make a couple needs aware to everyone right now, because, um, you know, with this transition with, with worship, what this creates is, is we have stellar leadership up on the third floor in middle school ministry, high school ministry. We have stellar leadership down here. And, and we have awesome people that are already saying, hey, I'm willing to help and getting more involved in these areas. We have guys like Gary Miller. They're going to be helping Caden down here in worship. We have, we have like Isaac Terrell and some of the Larsons are going to be taking some of the preaching and teaching burden off Caden for high school. Um, but we also have needs in spaces like children's ministry, like, so Garrick's in here for church right now, but he's usually not been recently because we just don't have enough people and, and we keep getting more and more kids that are showing up on a Sunday morning. It's a growing ministry right now, but we don't have the people who are going to be investing and pouring into those kids that we need right now. And, and there's other areas for sure. And, and the worst thing that you could do hearing the needs in the church, the worst thing you could do is go, oh, well, I feel bad about that need, so let me, I can sacrifice some time and let me get involved. That's not what I'm saying right now. I'm saying God will lead those who need to get involved because we don't just, uh, like especially in next-gen ministry, I want to make this really clear, we don't, we don't babysit. So we don't babysit any of your kids that are in there right now. My, I have a one-and-a-half-year-old that's in a room right over here, and she's not being babysat. She's being ministered to in an age-appropriate way, and this is what we do in every age, every space throughout. That's how we treat, treat all of the next generation is we want, to, we want to incite a wonder for who God is and what he's done in, in, in their life, in, in our lives. We just want to create this little wonder in their teeny little hearts. And then as they start to get a little older, we want to start pushing them and showing them that they, man, you should follow Jesus with everything you have. You should just follow him. You should fall in love with him. And ultimately what we're trying to do is show people that all of our kids, all the ages and stages, that you need to be transformed to live with his mission in your life. That's what we do in Next Gen Ministry. And so it would, it would not benefit the church greatly if you just go, oh, well, I'll do that even though I'm not going to be great at it. But I'm willing and here's my time. I appreciate that. But what we really need in this season are people who go, I'm being called. There's a need. I have the gifts and God is calling me to get involved. So that's, I just want to leave that for you there. The next part of the story is we go into Hebrews chapter 11. We'll kind of keep going on here. This is going to start talking about Abraham and Sarah. 
So it picks up chapter 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So what's happening here, the author of Hebrews, what he's talking about is Abram one night, he's, he's chilling out. I don't know. Maybe there's a campfire going. Maybe there isn't. And God's like, hey, Abram, Abram, look at the stars. What do you see up there? Abram's like, oh, there's a bunch of stars. You know, it's like probably like when you're camping up in the mountains and there's like stars on stars, like it's not like city stars. It's like mountain stars, which are different. And he's up there and he's looking at all the stars and God's like, count them. Everyone's like, I can't, there's so many. And he's like, that's exactly what your descendants are going to look like on this earth, which is cool. But Abram didn't have any kids. Abram didn't have any kids at the time. So now he has to cling to faith to wait for God to deliver on the promise that he had given him. And, and I find it fascinating and frustrating that God waited until it says Abraham's body was as good as dead. Anyone feeling as good as dead in the room? Just want to be honest for a moment? Okay, got a couple hands there. How would you imagine finding out that your spouse was pregnant? Finding out that you're about to have a baby? Sarah's so old, she can't help it. Just, she just starts laughing as soon as she finds out. She's like, no way. What? You're going to have a baby? Crazy. God waits until they're not physically capable of producing the promise on their own. He waits until they are no longer capable of, of getting to the promise, of receiving the promise that he given to them on their own strength so that when they receive it, finally, it will be a gift from him and him alone. Is there a promise that God has put on your life that you're trying to finish in your own power and you're not just resting in the finished work of what Jesus has done for you? That's the question. Is there a promise that you see in scripture? Is there a promise of God that you're trying to finish in your own strength? What you need to do is you just need to wait. See, because this part of the story, I, I do find it kind of refreshing. It does say that, you know, Sarah, because she waited in faith, she was entrusted with this child. Um, I'm not saying the writer of Hebrews missed something, but that's not the whole story. There's all of Genesis chapter 16, where Sarah kind of freaks out a little bit about the fact that they haven't had a baby yet, and she hasn't been able to produce a baby for her husband, Abraham. And so what does she do? She goes and she gets her servant. Uh, she gets Hagar. She's like, hey, have a baby with her. And, and like, listen, married man, I don't really understand it, but he, he does it. Like he has a baby with Hagar and you get Ishmael and God's like, that's that's not, that's not what I meant. Like I was going to give you a child. I was going to do this, but you kind of tried to jumpstart it on his own power. He tried to take the promise into his own hands and get to the destination on his own strength. And God's like, it's not what I meant. Talk about uncomfortable. Like Genesis chapter 16, it's got to be one of the most uncomfortable stories in scripture. Hey, I have this baby with her. Okay. Now she's mad. Of course she is. Like, well, you didn't see this coming. Like, of course she's upset. Anyways. Okay. Moving on. Point's clearly not landing with you guys. Um, I find it baffling, personally. Um, so, oh. so, Abraham is given a son, Isaac, and, and what I want you to cling to in this part of the story is that uh, Abraham's faith wasn't perfect. Neither was Sarah's. They tried to get to the destination on their own strength. They, did, they were trying to do it in a way that didn't have to rely on faith. They didn't have to wait for God in uncomfortable spaces. They tried to just finish the promise that he'd given to them. And, and uh, 
I think the tendency is we look at biblical characters sometimes and we go, well, of course, Abraham could follow God wherever he called him. Of course, Abraham could trust and have faith that God would deliver on these promises. Of course, he's Abraham. And what I want to point out is that Abraham's faith at times was as fragile as yours and mine is. And God does not need perfect faith from you. He wants faith just the size of a mustard seed he can work with. So we got to keep that in mind that he wasn't perfect and neither will you be. I won't be either. We'll have doubts. We'll have moments where we, where we, don't, where we don't follow as close as we should, but that won't stop God from working in our lives. So the last part of the story, certainly, I, you know what, I'm just going to go out and say it. I think it is the most uncomfortable story in all of scripture. Um, Abraham is called to sacrifice Isaac. So let's pick it up. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Okay. When he was tested, it's not like God was like, Abraham, I'm going to test you. Go and sacrifice Isaac. That would be like, well, okay, it's a test. Like everything's going to be fine. He didn't know it was a test when he was walking through it. He just gets called one day. God's like, hey, you're going to go sacrifice your son, Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, Here's the story. Abraham finally gets this beloved son, Isaac. And, and you got to realize on Isaac's shoulders rests everything that God has ever promised to Abraham. The land that he was given, Abraham never got to inherit that land, but it was a land for his descendants one day. So Abraham had to spend his whole life walking around the promised land, looking at it, looking at other people inhabiting it. He was a foreigner to it. He never got to build his own house there. He always had to live in tents. But the promise was for a future generation to inherit that land. So, so he's, given, he's, he's given Isaac finally. And then all the, all the descendants that are going to outnumber the stars in the sky, guess who they're going to come through? Isaac. Isaac kind of has to be alive to make this thing happen. So Abraham gets called. He's like, hey, you're going to go. You're going to sacrifice Isaac uh, on this hill. And, and it says the next morning early, Abraham woke up and he went. And, and there's an immediacy to his decision. I was talking through the sermon with some of the staff this week, and we talked about how, uh, you know, the tendency in Christians is to use godly things to keep us from doing godly things. So, so like, God will be like, hey, go talk to that person in the grocery store. And you're like, oh, okay, man, okay, that's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, you know, Lord, okay, before I do that, I'm going to pray. Let me just pray. Okay. Okay. Pray. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. Oh, she's gone. Oh, dang. I, you know, missed it. Bummer. Right. And we use prayer as this way to like delay what we know God is calling us to do. Or we could even use things like fasting. We can go like, okay, uh, you know what, before I make that decision, let me just, let me just fast on it. Let me just wait a few days. And, and maybe, you know what, maybe I'll even get some good Christian counsel around me and I'll tell them about this thing that I feel like God has told me. But, but when I tell them, this isn't any of you, by the way, this is just what some people do. You'll tell the story to all your Christian counsel and you'll color that story you, in just a little bit of a certain way to kind of just barely tip your cards down at the decision you want them to make for you. Right? And then they'll make that decision. You'll be like, ah, I knew it. I, you know, I, that was crazy. I knew God wasn't calling me to do that. That sounds nuts. Again, we have to cultivate, we have to steward, we have to build ourselves up in the quiet time, our own prayer life, our own fasting time, so that when God calls, we recognize his voice and we do it with immediacy. Because Abraham 
Abram was called to sacrifice Isaac, and he went. He did it. It's, it's, and, and people will argue about how old Isaac is. He was old enough to carry the wood that was going to be used to build the altar that he was going to be sacrificed on. So like, you know, I just picture like, okay, hey, uh, they go to this spot. Abram can see the hill that he's called to sacrifice Isaac on. And, and he's got some other people with him. He's like, hey, you guys stay here. Me and my son are going to go up there. We're going to go up there to worship. And Isaac's just kind of like, all right, yeah, let's go worship up there. It looks like a good spot to worship. And, and I, Abraham looks at Isaac. He's like, hey, son, uh, grab all the wood for the sacrifice. Isaac's like, cool, cool, cool. Okay, grabs all the wood. And he's like, huh, no, there's nothing to sacrifice. Dad didn't even bring it. He didn't bring a sheep today. Like, what, what are we doing? And, and it says that Abraham had great faith. I wonder if Isaac's faith ever matched Abraham's faith. Because Abraham was like, I had the faith to know that if I was going to sacrifice my son, that God would bring him back again. It never says that Isaac had that kind of faith. So it never says that he was just like, oh yeah, dad, cool. It's chill. Let's do this. Like, I believe that God will bring me back to life. Like, no, it just, he just goes along. He's carrying the wood. They put him on the altar. And it says that, it says that Abraham bound his son. He bound him up. He tied him up and he laid him down and he was ready to sacrifice him. And again, it wasn't just sacrificing his son who he loved, although it was that. It was on that son's shoulders that every promise he'd ever gotten from God, his whole life, everything was tied up in that son's blood. And Abraham pulls out the knife and as he's getting ready to sacrifice it, because in great faith, he knew that God would provide, God provides a substitute sacrifice. Just as the knife's about to fall, there's a ram caught in the thicket. It says he's caught by his horns. And, and, and that, what that picture is, it's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of the crown of thorns that was pressed on his head. That, that anytime you're willing to come to the altar and lay everything in your life on that altar, God will provide a substitute sacrifice. And for you and I, his name is Jesus. And if you're willing to put anything, you, you, I, I'm telling you, you can put anything on that altar. You can lay anything in your life down because God has given up everything for you on the cross. So the question in this part of the story is, is there something that you're not willing to put on the altar? Is there something that you, you're going, oh God, God, yeah, okay, let's, I'm in church, this is good, and oh, my money? Oh, I don't, I don't know about my money. Like, God, that's a touchy subject for me, Lord. Uh, I'd really appreciate if the preacher would quit bringing it up, you know, and, and maybe it's your time. For a lot, of, a lot of other people, uh, I know their time is a lot harder commodity to give up. And you go, okay, my church has asked me to be at church on Sunday and then also to get in a small group. And then he's also talking about volunteering this morning. I'm adding up a lot of hours here. Like, are you willing to lay anything on that altar? Relationships, comfort, money, time, all of it. When you lay, but, but I'm just... I'm telling you, I'm here to say, as you lay everything on that altar and you go, God, I'm surrendering it all to you. He meets you with a substitute sacrifice. So go ahead and stand up as I want to close this point here. Supposedly, like you listen a little better when you're standing up. So just for this last minute, I just want you to hear this. We're going to read Ephesians 3.20 here in just a sec because I know some of you were like, I memorized that. He hasn't even put the slide up yet. And I want to show everyone that I memorized it. It's, it's cool. Like, we'll put it up there in just a sec. We'll show it. But um, how is God able to do far more abundantly than all we could ever ask? Like, how is he able to do that? Because when you surrender everything to him, he shows you that he's already given up everything for you. 
He loves you. He's, he's with you. He's for you. He'll, he'll sustain you through the hard times. He, he, is, he is the God who's working, who's providing, who's taking care of you, who has a place prepared for you, even in the middle of your most uncomfortable parts of your life. Uh, life might be so hard right now. You might be in the middle of something so, so tough, but God is able to do far more abundantly with your sacrifice to him than you could ever produce in your own strength. So um, let's go ahead and throw Ephesians 3.20 up. If you want to close your eyes because you want to prove to everyone you got it memorized. If you're new this morning and you're just like, what is, like I asked everyone week one if we could try and memorize this passage of scripture. And if so, if, if you don't, no worries. If you do, that's awesome. Uh, let's, let's just read it together, okay? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in, Christ, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Look at you all. Y'all did such a good job. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We're so touched that we get invited into this story, God. We're so incredibly humbled that you would partner with us, God. I pray that we wouldn't, would we not receive this message today to just heap shame and guilt and burden onto our lives, but would we relax and sit back and realize that you are, you are our God, you love us, you may be calling us to stretch us, you may be calling us in uncomfortable places, but we get a chance to partner with what you want to do here on this earth. We have a chance to partner with you, bringing the kingdom, arriving it to this hurting and broken world. There's no shame in missing a window of opportunity, God. Not from you, there isn't. But, but God, would you show us that rather than a shame that comes from missing an opportunity, there's actually just always, there's opportunity to partner with the creator of the universe to do what he's doing in the world. And that's amazing. And I pray that we would be a church body that wouldn't miss that chance. God, we love you and, and we trust you in this, in this season we're in as a church. We, we just continue to cling to you all the more. And we ask that you would do a work that is special in us. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.